And Lord willing, today we're going to make it through Luke chapter 6. We'll make it into chapter 7. So let me catch us all up, whether this is your first time being here or whether you've been here uh, the whole journey through the gospel of Luke. Jesus has just hit a home run sermon. And... um, he, he's, he's got everybody's attention. There are thousands of people all on uh, a hillside next to the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful setting. They're, they're keyed in on every word that he's saying. They're journaling. Okay? I mean, they, they are locked in. It's, it's everything they've, they've wanted to hear, and he's giving it to them. Every, every word that Jesus has said so far through the Beatitudes has been like, a, like the notes of a symphony. A good symphony. It's like everybody's it's just resonating in their ears. They, they love it. And the message has been this. It's been, hey, there's two kingdoms. And these two kingdoms have two totally separate kings. And these two kingdoms with two separate kings have two totally different sets of values. And it looks different. It feels different. It, this is, one is a blessed life. One is the woe life. You'll remember that. Um, One is a life that seeks reciprocal love, and one is one that rests in non-reciprocal love, and we flesh through that. One is one that bears good fruit, one is one that bears bad fruit, and we walked through that this last week. And Jesus clearly wasn't raised in the cultural south, because at the end of this sermon, he does not give an invitation. There is no come to the front, there is no sign the card, there is none of that. He, he didn't grow up um, as a good old uh, southern boy, all right? He, he, all he does is basically say, this is the truth, and he drops the mic, and he walks away. <laughs> and, and so in this moment, he doesn't give an invitation, but he's going to wrap up his sermon with an illustration. Here's these two kingdoms, here's these two kings, here's what it looks like to live in one of these, and here's going to be the outcome of that for you and your home, dependent upon how you respond to those truths, right? Uh, So one is going to be a home that's rooted in life-shaking independence. So it's an independent home, but ultimately it will be a shaking home. It's, It's a home that I control, I choose the blinds, I choose the pool. I choose the whatever. I, I decorate the home. I, it's, it's my independent home. And he's going to say, if you choose one of these kingdoms of independence, you're going to end up with this shaking home. It's going to be what you like, but at the end of the day, you might not like what you thought you liked. And then it's going to be this other kingdom. And it's not going to be a, a life-shaking independent home, but a life-stabilizing home that's rooted in submission. And so this is going to be the illustration that fleshes itself out. You all have heard the song. You've probably sang the song a thousand times of of where this text goes. Um, And and it's going to be, don't build your house on the shifting sands. Build it upon the rock. So, with that said, let me read the text and then we'll examine it together. So Jesus says this at the end of that whole sermon. Again, this is the wrap-up. The end of it. Next week's going to be a total shift And he says at the end of his sermon, So why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man who's building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house, but it could not shake it because the house had been well built. 
But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Again, no invitation, no closing prayer, just a bonk. It is what it is. It is what it is. And so, here's what I want to do with this text. I want to look at it maybe in a way that you've never looked at it before. I want to look at it in what are the ways in which this, the two houses, again, based off of the two kingdoms, how are they similar? Because I think a lot of times we just shift straight to how are they different. Okay, well, one was built on sand and one was built on rock. But let's look at the ways in which the houses are similar. This will be on the screen. So here's the home that's destined to collapse and the home that's determined to stand. In this text, there are a lot of similarities. There's actually more similarities than there are differences. Here's how they're the same. Both of the houses in this text calls on the Lord. Uh, Lord, 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 Lord. You come to me and you say, Lord, Lord, but why don't you do? They're both crying out, Lord, Lord. Uh, They both come to him. They both hear his words. They both set out to build a house. Uh, They both indeed build a house. And they both face streams that break. So, if you're in here and, and, and you're thinking, or maybe your notion of Christianity is that you don't face streams, that, that you're totally different than everybody else, that's not the truth. The unbeliever and the believer's lot's the same. There's a lot of similarities. We all build a house. We all have heard from the Lord. And ultimately, we all are going to find some way to, to set some form of foundation, and we're all going to face streams, all of us alike. No matter which kingdom you choose, we're going to face streams. The heavenly kingdom, those who walk in Christ, are not immune from facing streams that break. They both face streams. So so this is the reality of of both kingdoms. It's all cozy by the sea. They're having the day. The sun is glistening. They've just heard this home run sermon. They're leaning into Jesus. They love everything he's saying. And then all of a sudden, he blows this on them. And so, he says, hey, listen, all of you hearing these words, the reason I tell you this is because everybody sitting on this hillside is one moment away from utter chaos. One moment. One twist in life from utter chaos. So you love my words, you're hearing my words, but just hearing my words is not going to last when that twist occurs. Do you have something more deeply rooted is what he's ultimately saying. Church, listen, suffering is real. There's no way to avoid the pain. There's no promise of that. Scripture never promises that Christians avoid the pain. And so in this moment, he's, what he's saying is, hey, listen, the Messiah, me, not me, obviously. The Messiah, Christ, he's saying, listen, I'm not here to stop your pain. So if you're coming to me hoping that that I'm the one that will just fix the pain, worldly pain is going to be here. He says, no, I'm not here just to fix the pain. I'm here to prevent utter destruction. And those are two totally different things. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. We as believers, we're pressed, we're pressed, but we're never crushed. We're perplexed. We wonder, but we don't despair. We're persecuted, 
but we're never forsaken. We're struck down, but we're never destroyed. And this is what Jesus is trying to hone in on. I was given an, uh, an illustration from Jamie this week. I thought it was really, really good. It's a story of, a, of an old farmer. And the old farmer um, had the, the, the old straw hat that many of you guys have seen. It's not just the straw hat, but it has the little, has the little plastic visor in it. You know what I'm talking about? Um, just an old, good old boy. Lived his life putting out uh, planting seeds. And this person came up to him and noticed that he did some odd things as he, he planted his trees. And in his yard, he would, he would plant little bitty spriglings of, I don't know if that's a word, um, of, of oak trees. And so as he would plant them, he would do a couple of things to them. Rather than just put them in the ground and add a bunch of water, he would put them in the ground and walk away and not give them water. And so the person said, hey, why, why, do, you, why do you not give those water? And then he noticed something peculiar else that he did to them. Not only did he not give them water, he would take a newspaper, and when he would plant them in there, he'd kind of whap them with it. And now the person was like, that's strange too. Why would you plant a seed, not give it water, and kind of, kind of whap it a little bit? And then he noticed something else that the guy would do. As the sprigling would, would come up, he would make it tough for the branches to branch out. He'd kind of squeeze them. And at this point, the guy's like, I don't even know that you're a good farmer. I don't even know how anything grows. And he says, why do you do this? And then the old man, in his wisdom, said this. The reason that I don't shower them with nonstop water, the reason that I don't make it a perfect environment, is because trees that grow deep roots sometimes have to struggle. And so because they don't get flooded with constant water, they've got to dig even deeper. Their, their roots have to go even deeper to find that and it makes them stronger. And then the bending but not breaking them makes them tougher. And so the environment that's created sometimes allows them a little bit of suffering so that when the winds come, their roots will remain strong. Church, listen. If you don't get anything else from this text, get this. Pain is real. Suffering is real. But these light and momentary afflictions... Though you may not feel like they are light and momentary, are producing something. An eternal weight of glory. They're strengthening you. They're making you grow deep. And in this moment, Jesus is setting us up to go, okay, I will face suffering. And then he's going to throw the curveball and say, and what it depends on with how you endure that suffering is where you're rooted. What your foundation is in. Have you grown deep to seek him out? Have, have you sought after the water of his word? And this is where he's going to go. It's so, it's so good. It's so rich. So these are the ways that they're the same. They both call on the Lord, come to the Lord, hear his word, set out to build a house, build a house. They all face streams. That's both kingdoms. But now, how they're different. And let's look at this. Here's how they're different. First, the house that's destined to collapse does not obey the Lord's blueprints. Doesn't obey. We see this in the text. This person who builds this house functions as an independent contractor. I'm going to build my house the way that I want to build my house. Again, 
I'm going to pick out the blinds that I want to pick out. I'm going to pick out the carpet that I want to pick out. I'm going to pick out the flooring that I want to pick out. I want to do what I want to do. In other words, Jesus says, listen, I've, I've laid out the blueprints, and the one whose house is shaking and destined to collapse says, I don't want your blueprints. I want to do what I want to do. But the contrast is the other house does obey the Lord's blueprints. It functions as a submissive, self-indentured servant. It's one who says, listen, Lord, here are my blueprints. <laughs> but you take those and you crumble them up, and I will, obey, I will do what you want to do. If you say, Lord, that green shag carpet is in vogue, then I will have green shag carpet. And there are some people in here like, green shag carpet's pretty cool. I dig it. Lord, if you say that plaid blinds are the way to go, then, then plaid blinds are the way to go. Lord, if you say that rock flooring is the way to go, then it's the way to go. Lord, I lay aside my blueprints for your blueprints, believing that you're ultimately for my good. This is the difference in the two houses, in the two kingdoms. And then he goes on to say this. Here's another contrast. The one whose home was destined to collapse chooses to build, if you noticed, on the surface of the earth is what the text says. It doesn't say sand, as the song says. We've got to be careful not to get our theology from, the, uh, from songs, from kitty songs. It says, builds it on the surface of the earth. In other words, the person looks at the earth and goes, that's good. That's sufficient. As a matter of fact, I like that, and that is way easier. It, it won't cost me as much. I won't have to bleed. I won't have to get some calluses. I can just build right here on the surface of the earth. And, and looks at it and says, this is very pleasing. In other words, I want to have more time to enjoy the life that I want to live. My independent life. And um, as the song says, maybe as we're building that house, we, we, we sing out with the singer. Ain't nobody going to hold me down. I got to keep on moving. Yeah, yeah, you know it. It's, it's that mindset. Ain't nobody going to hold me down. I want to do what I want to do, so I'm going to build my house, throw it up, boom, let's go. That's what the first person does. But then there's the contrast of the one who says, no, 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 you've instructed me to dig, so I'm going to dig. I'm going to build on the foundation and find the rock. Now, what happens when we dig? When we choose to build our house upon the Lord, it takes effort. It takes digging. It takes, getting, it takes sweat. It takes hurt. It takes pain. It takes the sunburn on the back. It takes the effort. But here's what he's saying. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. As the hymn writer sings, maybe we sing it this way. If you're building your house upon the Lord, He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. When my strength gives way, He will hold me fast. I, I'm going to put all my eggs in His basket. <laughs> and so in this moment, Jesus becomes the all in all, not just the Jesus when He's convenient. And that's ultimately the two foundations. Because the house that's distance collapsed sometimes says, well, it's Easter, so Jesus. Well, it's Christmas, so Jesus. Well, there's the daddy-daughter dance, so it's Jesus. There is the event, so it's Jesus. The, 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 
the, the person at the gym asked me if I went to church. So Jesus, when it's convenient, right? But the person whose house is destined to stand, it's just Jesus always. It's Jesus in the pain. It's Jesus in the mundane. It's Jesus in the questions. It's Jesus in the hurt. It's Jesus in the financial difficulty. It's Jesus when we don't know. It's Jesus when we're perplexed. It's Jesus when, we're, when it's great. It's just Jesus, 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 always Jesus. So the contrast is the one who builds on the surface of the earth or the one who digs deeper and says, listen, my life is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I don't trust in anything else but Christ and Christ alone. And then the contrast, as we all know the outcome, one house comes to complete ruin. The home is no match for the world's storms. And then the other contrast, the one that stands unshaken, the world's storms are no match for that home. Amen. So Jesus lays out these two responses. And with that, Jesus clearly lays out the realities and champions one blueprint for your home over the other. He's championing one. So here's the deal. Unbeliever. Unbeliever in this room. Or the one who's built your house on shifting sands. He who dies with the most toys still dies. He still dies. He who dies with the most toys still dies. Christ is worth it. This glittering, uh, the glittering shiny balls that you see and, and, and you want to have. And you, I, we used to go on field trips. And I was that child. I mean, you guys could probably guess it. I was that child that as we were getting off the bus, they were like, okay, Troy, put on your handcuffs. Here we go. <laughs> now let's put your straight jacket on. Fantastic. You know, and here I am kind of walking around. I was that child because they knew when we went to the souvenir shop, there was going to be all the shining things. And I wanted them. I wanted all of them. You know, mom and dad sent me with $2.50. So I knew that I, in my head, I knew that I was going to get the eraser. <laughs> I always got the eraser. That's all I could ever afford was the eraser. But I wanted everything. I wanted to touch everything. Anything that was glittery and shiny, I wanted. Now that's, and he's saying, listen, the souvenir shop's going to come to an end. And right now you think the souvenir shop is everything. You think the erasers last forever, and they don't. Let me tell you a home that will outlast all the storms of life. And it's rooted in the one thing that shines greater than all else, and that's Christ. Find your satisfaction and purpose and hope and joy in Him. Because church, you won't find it in anything else, nor anyone else. Anyone else. So, believer, here's what this text is saying to you. press on he's worth it he's worth it press on and you're like yeah but I'm following Jesus but I still face pain and so maybe I should just abandon Jesus for what to just embrace the pain on your own that don't make a lot of sense embrace Christ because Christ is what Christ offers he is the shiny jewel press on when there's issues with the family, press on. When there's issues with the work, press on. When there's issues in 
between your own two ears. Press on. When there's issues with your friends, press on. When there's issues with trying to achieve and and wondering if you'll ever achieve, press on. Christ is worth it. He's worth it. Give your all to him. And why why does he end this way as we kind of wrap it up? Why does he end this way? Well, because he's truly come to give us the abundant life. And what he's showing us is the abundant life is only found in submitting to him. You'll only find it. He's come to give us that life more abundant. And obedient submission, though we buck against submission in our society, I don't want to submit to no one, nobody, no nothing. Here's why obedient submission works. Because it stabilizes the home. It prevents us from anarchy. And so, when we're trying to find a home that, that stands the test of time, when we submit to Christ, what we, what we find out is that Christ protects us becoming, from becoming the captain of our own fate, the master of our own souls. That's the last thing we need. Independence says, hey, I am, I am the master of my fate, the captain of my own soul. And, and Christ says, if, do you really want that? Like, do you really want that? I don't think you really want that. We get delusional mindsets and we forget what we're actually capable of. And Christ says, by submitting to me, I'm protecting you from you. And I'm protecting your home from you. So, the shakiness comes when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. But stabilization in the home comes from when everyone does what is right in Christ's eyes. It works. It's not just theory, it's, it works. And then it stabilizes the mind when we submit. He prevents us from thinking, boy, I really know what's best for me. Or believing that. Because we don't know what's best for us, even though we think we know what's best for us. It's kind of like walking into a doctor and, and maybe you've just had the flu or COVID or this new combined strand of the COVID flu. Um, and you go to the doctor, and they're like, hey, um, we're going to need you to do this, this, and this. And you go, I don't, I don't think I really want to do that. And then the doctor goes, well, why are you here? <laughs> well, because, doctor, I came to tell you what I need to do for me. Because I can tell you what works for me. Grandma had the hotty toddy. And it works. Y'all giggle because y'all know what grandma's hotty toddy is. Hey, okay. <clears throat> it works. And the doctor goes, well, why are you here? Why did you come to me? Do you trust me or do you not trust me? And Jesus is saying, listen, submit to me. Because when grandma's hotty toddy don't work, you'll find out that what I have really does work. So he protects our mind from ourselves. And then he stabilizes relationships when we submit. The home's relationships are stabilized. In other words, when we submit to Christ as a home, it prevents us from cannibalization. I don't know about your home, and I can only speak for my home, but we will eat and devour each other all day long. Can I get an amen from anybody? Or all y'all's homes got it figured out? Like, we'll, we'll just cannibalize each other all day long. This is what I want, when I want, hey. And if I have to use you to get what I want, then by gosh, you're married to me. 
So we will make it. It's cannibalization. But when we're submitting to Christ first, then we love each other like Christ. In other words, we don't cannibalize one another. We give away our lives for one another, and that transforms the home. And so he says, listen, shakiness comes when one person or multiple people in a home live for themselves. But when everybody's living for Christ, I bring stability in the home. Paul called it the secret of contentment. And the secret of contentment is really just this, that realizing that our purpose in life really is not about us, but the purpose in life is all about Christ. And when we realize that, it really does transform the home. In other words, let me say this, and then we'll throw some things on the screen. If you show me a life that is shaking, then I'll show you areas in that life where Christ is not sufficient. Anytime life is shaky, there's a gospel deficiency. Anytime. Anytime there's a home that's shaky, there's a gospel deficiency. We just talked about this uh, this past week, Leanne and Hunter. Anytime, there's always a gospel deficiency. That does not mean that you don't believe that the gospel is sufficient to save you. That's not what I'm saying. But anytime there's shakiness, there's a belief that the gospel is not sufficient enough to sanctify you. It's not enough to work through the issue. And and we start raging for ourselves and we start pulling back. And this is not going right, so I will take the reins. And that's where it all falls apart. And the gospel gives us grounds to be gracious and merciful. Paul faced every storm imaginable, but oddly enough, he said this. I'm content. It's fine. I've been beaten, shipwrecked, laid for dead. But I've found the secret and it's Christ in me. The hope of glory. That's my only hope. That's all I've got. And so, <clears throat> Paul points us to Christ. Jesus points us to himself for this rock-solid love. And so the question would be this. All right, I get it, Troy. So why do we not submit? Why do we not submit to Christ's sufficiency? What, what is the hang-up if this is true? It'll pop on the screen. I'll just read through, the, through these and just let them be as is, all right? So if you want to take a picture and read them later, feel free to do so as I just read through these. Why do we not submit? Number one, because he's a threat to our best life now. We, like kids, want a touch that's everything that's shiny. And we go, but if I submit, I won't be able to touch everything that's shiny. Right? Number two, because we think he's a cosmic killjoy. Will anybody admit that? We think that God is a cosmic killjoy. Like he doesn't want me to be happy. Um... And here's the reason we don't submit, because we know a lot of times what he wants is not what we want. Or let me say it another way. Because we know that what we want is not what he wants for us. So we just don't submit. Number three, we think he's holding out. We think that God's just an overlord. A lot of you guys in this room, your mindset of God is he really is an overlord who has a noose choked around your neck. And he's just kind of walking around to see when he can snatch that thing. And you... We giggle. But if we're honest, a lot of us think that's our mindset of who God is. But he's just there to snatch me. That's your mindset. So I don't want to submit because I don't want a noose around my neck. Number four, truly think this. Now, we wouldn't admit it, but we truly think that we know better. We don't submit because I know better. 
right? Number five, we don't submit because we buy Satan's lies. Satan says, hey, live for you. So America says, live for you. So the TV says, live for you. And so we go, I'll live for me. We buy those lies. And then we buy culture's lives, which says, don't submit to anybody. Do, don't you, of all things, don't you dare submit to anyone. And so we don't submit. And then number seven, because we know that he will require us to do things contrary to what we prefer. We know if we submit that he'll make us have the hard conversations, don't we? We know that if we submit that sometimes he'll say, don't take the job, but I want the job. And we know sometimes he'll say, don't take the job or do take the job. I don't know which one I just said. The contrary, the corollary. We don't submit because we know that sometimes he'll say, hey, go tell them you're sorry. Oh, heck no. <laughs> Lord, I love you, but I ain't doing that. We don't submit because he says, abstain from that desire that you have. Don't give in. Abstain from it. So we don't submit. We don't submit because we know he'll say, hey, go give grace and go give mercy. And frankly, there's not one of us in the room that wants to go give grace and mercy. So we don't submit. That's why. Now let me give you the stabilizing truth about submission to Christ as foundational all things. Number one, here's why we should submit. Because submit because he does know best. He knows best. He knows that the glittery and shiny things have a price tag that you cannot afford. And he knows that. He says, listen, don't buy into those things. As a matter of fact, you can't afford them. I have sent my son to be crucified, bleed, and die to pay the price that you cannot pay. Trust in him and don't go back to the hoping in those glittery, shiny things. He's already conquered them. Number two, we can submit to him because he sees all past, present, and future as a simultaneous whole. He's the best guide to the home because he built the home. You, you go to the Biltmore. And it's fun to go to the Biltmore if you've never been to Asheville. And, and to see the Biltmore, there's all kind of cool things. And the tour guides are fantastic. But you know who would be a better guide? If the Vanderbilt family could walk you through it. <laughs> Why? Because they built it. They know the nooks and crannies. And Jesus is saying, submit to me because I built the home. I know it all. Why would you not submit to me? I see it all, past, present, and future. As Tim Keller says, and this is so good, and any time this is brought up, there are half the room who loves it and half the room that goes, golly, man, I don't know if I trust in God that much. If you knew everything that Christ knows, then you would choose to endure everything that Christ has allowed you to endure. Pain and all. That's a tough pill to swallow. I get it. But either you trust that he is good and knows all, or you think you know better than the God of the universe. That's solid theology. Why else should we submit? 
because he really is for our good and not just his glory. He puts up guardrails of obedience, not so that we won't enjoy the scenery, but so that we won't fall off the edge of the dadgum mountain. That's why. That's why submission is for our good. Submission guards ourselves from ourselves and what we're truly capable of. Yes, God is saving us from sin, Satan, death, the curse, and all that, but primarily he's saving us from ourselves. Number five, we submit because our hearts are deceitful and wicked, but through his obedience or through obedience to him, he's making them holy and pleasing to the Father. Why do we submit? Six, because he's the only thing that is eternal in any given equation. That's why we submit. That's enough for me in and of itself. He is the only thing eternal in any given equation that you and your home, as a single, as a married, as a family, he is the only thing eternal in any equation. Here's what I mean by that. He is the teacher who's given the final exam and going, I have the answer key right here. All you have to do is come up here and read the answer key. Just come up here. If you were in a classroom and a teacher did that and was like, hey, I have the answer key and I want to give you all the answers, you just have to come up here and read it. How many in this room, by a show of hands, would go, I'm in. Let me go read it. You'd go read it, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why on earth do we look at God who holds the answer key to the universe and go as, here it is, just submit to me. Why on earth do we sit in the back of the room and go, eh, I think I'll figure it out myself. <laughs> We're crazy. That's insanity, right? We submit because he really does know all. He is the only eternal. And then number five, because faith in Christ is the only firm foundation. Faith, true faith is not in an outcome that it's going to be good for me in the end. True faith is I trust in Christ no matter if it turns out good for me on earth or not. That's faith. Because I know in the end it will turn out for my good and ultimately for his glory. That's faith. Faith's not an outcome. It's in an object. And the object is Christ. So, as the band comes back up, where, where do you stand in all that? What's your house built on? Christ isn't just all that we need, church. He's all that we have. He's it. He's the sum of all things. Everything else shifts. Everything else sleeps. Christ never shifts and he never sleeps and he never slumbers. He is enough. And the key to the whole illustration is the faith of the builder to put his home rooted in the foundation of Christ. So, the next two sections of the text, we could have done one of two things. We could have talked through them in the upcoming weeks, or we could read them. Because I think what you'll find out is the next two texts are just illustrations of people who ultimately put their faith in Christ as the foundation. You remember when we started this thing? I told you Luke was a master at putting stuff together. Y'all remember that? He's a physician. He's, he's well learned. And the way that he puts these two stories right after the Beatitudes is uncanny. So let's read it together and then we'll sing. 
two kingdoms, two houses, where are you going to put your faith? And he tells the story of the centurion as the band plays. And after he had finished all these sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him the elders of the Jews asking him to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he's worthy to have you do this for him. He loves our nation and he's the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with him. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, Lord, he calls him, Lord, he comes, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I'm not worthy to have you come up under my house, up under my roof. Therefore, I didn't presume to come to you, but you say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers unto me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. He submits. And when Jesus heard these things, when Jesus heard the man saying, I know what submission is like, and Lord, I'm willing to submit to you. He marveled at him and turned to the crowd following and said, I tell you not, even in Israel have I found such faith. Willing to submit from afar. I trust you from afar. You can do what only you can do because you're God. I submit to you. And when those who returned to the house, they found the servant well. Faith in action. And then Jesus raises some dead bones and these dead bones have faith. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier and the bearers stood still. And he said (laughs) to the dead bones, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. Sometimes dead bones have more faith than we have. Inanimate bones hear the Lord speak and go, Hey, I'm up. Yes, I will do. Get up. I'm up. I'm up. Don't let dead bones outdo you. You have ears to hear, eyes to see. When the Lord says, get up, get up. The dead bones set up. And the dead man set up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. And fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. They missed it. One of the greatest understatements in all the world. And God's visited his people. He's like, yeah, I am. Yes. I'm not a prophet. I'm God. I just raised bones. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. What a great text, church. What a great text. Hey, would you pray with me? So, Lord, we we come to this text and we think about our homes and our, our, 
our proverbial homes, our lives, just our lives as singles, our lives as married, our lives as divorced, our lives as parents, our lives as students. We think about our proverbial home. Lord Jesus, that this text would call us to invest every bit of energy we have in setting every corner of the home in your powerful hands. So Lord, to the unbeliever who's not surrendered their life to you, Lord, I pray today is the day of salvation, that you overcome their resistance, that you awaken their heart, and that they really respond in faith. That they see you as worth it. Not just as insurance, but as the one who created the whole thing. The owner. Lord, that they'll read of you, that they'll pray to you, they'll rejoice in you, they'll find community (laughs) around you, they'll listen to podcasts about you, Lord, that they will listen to music of you, that God, that they'll place everything in your hands. And Lord Jesus, for believers in this room, they'll press on, they'll remain steadfast, that they'll, they'll see that you're not a God who just removes the storms. but that you're a God who's watching to see if we'll respond to you in the midst of the storm as our firm foundation.